You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Yoga Inspiration Show. I hope these talks give you a little bit of inspiration to keep practicing and make your world a better place. Yoga is more than just a physical practice. It's a lifelong spiritual journey and we constantly need sustenance to help us stay on the path. So I hope you find that sustenance right here. And I look forward to seeing you on the mat. Very good. So with the addition of a little bit of the manifesting work that we did, we uh, added some time onto the sit and we were sitting for like 35 minutes. So it was a bit long, maybe 36, something like that. It's a bit longer today. So hope you're all right. Yeah. The important thing to understand along the spiritual path is the difference between what is real and what is unreal? What is imaginary and what is actual? The very important thing to understand is this distinction. Because if we only live in the imaginary, then the spiritual practice can be a spiritual bypass where we ignore what are very often the sometimes difficult realities that we face moment to moment, moment to moment. However, sometimes people also get too locked into the struggle of the moment, the struggle of the now, we could say, that we get very attached to whatever difficulty is present. Now, nobody thinks that they're attached to whatever difficulty is present. You know, when you ask someone, do you like to let go of all your struggle and live a life of ease and flow? Almost everyone will say, oh, yes. Where do I sign up for such a life like that? I would like to sign up for a life of ease and flow. Yes, why does all this struggle come into my life? Please remove struggle. Then we engage in repetitive patterns which repeat that very same struggle over and over again. So when we're given the opportunity to shift, we often don't. Sometimes our very sense of identity is actually rooted in our difficulty, rooted in our struggle. So then when we shift into imagination or visualization work or what some people call manifesting work, the core knot of who we are has never been dealt with. So there are some, what we could say, destructive patterns or patterns of self-sabotage that sit in the subconscious mind. And on the very deep level of the mind, the subconscious is kind of, you know, driving the, is in the driver's seat of our life experience. And the conscious mind is in the passenger seat, making commentary, you know, making commentary. Oh, look, we missed the exit. Oh, I wonder when we're going to get there. Oh, it's taking such a long time. We may never get there. But the subconscious is being driven by some other pattern. So if we don't deal with the reality, if we don't accept the reality, the what is of this moment, then we'll be doomed to repeat over and over again whatever patterns we might be locked into. However, if we get locked into a pattern 
no matter how much visualization, no matter how much positive energy we direct towards our lives, that pattern in the subconscious will just continue to take over. It's so powerful. It will drive us so far so that it'll feel like we're helpless victims to the life experience and that no matter how hard you try, nothing works. So we can think about this in relation to sometimes the miraculous experience that many of us have probably had when there was a yoga posture that you were fighting with or struggling with for many years. Is there, you know, can you think of something like that? If you pause for a moment and think, well, gosh, you know, I started maybe doing yoga all these years ago and I used to fight with headstand every day. I can speak from my own experience. I used to fight with headstand every day for about a year. It was like a thing, you know? And I remember having this kind of antagonistic relationship with headstand. And I felt like I needed to be really, you know, like a hero about it. It was really gung-ho, if you could, you know, understand that expression and my attempts to do the headstand. Every day I would psych myself up. Here I go, I'm gonna do my headstand now. I'm gonna take a few moments and visualize my headstand. I'm gonna manifest my headstand. Here's the feeling of my headstand. I see it in my body. My hips are above my shoulders. I'm in a vertical line. I feel so happy up in my headstand. And then I would just box with it every day, push into the shoulders. My experience of trying, and I did this every day for about a year. I threw myself up in the headstand with the full expectant faith that my, you know, attempt would be, would succeed. Unfortunately, I fell over uh, every day for about a year. I just fell over. The more I fell, the harder I tried. The more I fell, the harder I tried. It just got worse and worse. And what didn't help was the feedback I was getting from teachers and fellow yoga practitioners at the time. I remember people saying things to me like, wow, Kino, you've been practicing for, you know, six months now. Shouldn't you be doing a headstand already? You've worked so hard. I see you working on this every day. It seems like you should be doing this by now. And I thought, well, gosh, I agree with you. I would like to be doing this now. Do you know why I'm not? Is there, am I blocked in some way? I remember being really frustrated because some people were helpful and said, well, maybe your shoulders just need to get a little stronger. Balance needs to improve. Just keep practicing. And I felt like that was helpful because it was something real and tangible. What was extremely irritating for me, and I still remember this, is that there were some individuals who said, well, I guess some chakras must be blocked. And I felt like, oh no, how, this doesn't really help me. If there's not a viable solution, like if you can't direct me to a chakra opener, then... I don't really want to hear about my blocked chakras, okay? And, and then, you know, there are numerous scenarios where, you know, people's chakras could be blocked. You're not an energy healer and you don't have any, any path to open that up for the individual or give them some feedback about that. It's probably better not to talk about things we don't know about. So anyhow, I also started then visualizing that my chakras were open because I felt like let's try it from all different avenues and I got more and more frustrated. And I did this for about a year. And every time I fell, I kind of took it personally. It took the failure personally. You know, it just felt like, poor me. It's happening for everyone, but not me. And then I would take it personally and try to look for unique reasons why I myself would never be able to do a headstand. 
those of you who are struggling with headstand have probably gone through these similar voices of doubt. And you take your failure at a yoga pose or anything personal, like, well, I guess I'm too old now, never do the headstand. Well, I guess my arms are too short, never do a headstand. Well, I guess my neck is just too weak, I'll never do a headstand. Or here was my favorite one. Well, I guess my butt is just too big to go upside down. Poor me, this large butt, what's it gonna do? You know, it doesn't really matter the actual size of the butt. It's the thought of that the butt is large, too large to go upside down. So these are all, these are all ways that I, I personally took failure and the failure of headstand personally. Well, and all of you who have experienced this, those of you who have been stuck in a yoga posture, and then, and then here's the experience. One day, suddenly you do it. One day, it feels like it was a miracle. One day, suddenly it happened. I don't know what I did differently. Just one day, everything changed. Look, now I can do headstand. What we often don't realize is that the effort of failing every single day is the foundation for our success. And when we accept our failure without taking it personally, that allows us to depersonalize the struggle, remain neutral, and accelerate the path by which success may come. And this is true for yoga posture. It's also true for anything else we want to experience in our life. But starting with the reality of failure is very important. And I'd like to go stick with the physical example of headstand. In all of the, in all of the moments when, in all of the moments when I say failed at a headstand, toppled over, I had these moments when I thought, well, gosh, it'll never happen for me. I might as well just quit right now and stop doing the work. But each time I decided, you know what, let me just try again. And each time I let go of the need to have it happen immediately. I let go of a little bit of the, the, the attachment to the goal. And whenever we're really attached to something happening in a particular framework, and the more attached we are, what's another word for attachment is expectation. The more we expect it to work out in a particular way, the tighter we are around it energetically and also physically. So the longer it took me to do a headstand, the more expectation there was that I should be doing a headstand for myself and from other people. The better I got at other yoga poses, the more disappointing it was that I couldn't do the headstand. So then I started wanting, then I started at some moment wanting to live in a fake world where I could do headstand already. And so this is different than saying, you know, focusing on the positive when we're completely unrooted from reality meaning I didn't want to tell anybody that I wasn't doing headstand anymore. Like I didn't want to share my failure. I was embarrassed that I couldn't do a headstand. So I would try to, you know, be in a corner of a room where no one could see me. I would skip the posture sometimes and, you know, do these kind of avoidant behaviors around it. This is being, this is divorcing from the reality. And we live in a, when you do that, then you end up bypassing the real work of struggle and failure. Rather than thinking that yoga, the spiritual journey, the meditator's path, is about those moments when suddenly everything happens, I'd like to invite you to, to think about the spiritual journey as comprising the struggle, that it is the years of failure that actually seek 
to give you the opportunity to learn the lesson of whatever situation is presented to you. It's not actually the moment, the quote unquote miraculous moment of success. It is actually the struggle that brings up the feeling of what you seek inside, you know, it's what we learn the most. One of the most important lessons for me along the path has been to really understand how to accept failure, not to, you know, like run after failure as some kind of, you know, self-denigration, but to really acknowledge, hey, I didn't do a good job at that. This isn't happening yet. And to be okay with it, to sit with failure means that you have a relaxed attitude about it and you can learn from it. As a teacher, one of the hardest students that I find to work with are those students who aren't willing to accept their failure, who just want to do it right from the beginning. And when they don't do it, they get really, really disappointed and really, really unhappy. And they just feel like, gosh, I just want to quit because I tried it in two classes and I'm not good at it yet. Well, the yoga practice is one thing. Meditation is a whole other world because if you want your mind to be calm and equanimous from the beginning as you start meditating, you have never understood what failure really means. Because as soon as you close your eyes, that one-year journey that I'm describing about headstand is a lifelong journey to acquire some few moments where the chatter of the mind seems to stop just a little bit. So it's very important that we learn how to focus on the lessons contained within the struggle rather than hankering for the breakthrough moments, which we're taught to kind of go towards. We're taught to hanker towards these breakthrough moments and to celebrate the day we do a headstand or the day we achieve this, the day we achieve that. When the reality of our spiritual journey is actually contained in thousands and thousands of micro moments of failure, which are true teachers of what the spiritual journey is about. So if we think about that, this is a humble path, you know? We cannot assume that in this lifetime alone, we're going to shift our energy and step into the realm of the Buddha, to walk you know, as the second coming of Jesus on the earth. That's not really what we should aim for. There are some people who do aim for that, who take this gung-ho attitude to the journey of spiritual enlightenment. And I find that these individuals are often very divorced from the hard reality of their everyday failures. So there are some individuals who, you know, hanker and, and yearn and even get so attached to the idea of, I want to be enlightened. I want to be enlightened. I want to be enlightened. And we're on this kind of like enlightenment superhighway. And they don't realize that when they're driving at warp speed on that enlightenment superhighway, they're stepping and hurting, you know, other people and other beings along the way, creating harm to themselves and harm towards others. It's so interesting. I'm going to get my enlightenment today. It's like this hot commodity that we want to trade on some sort of spiritual marketplace and accumulate it all for ourselves. But what ends up happening is then if we get so kind of attached to any physical or, or spiritual goal, it begins to be a divorce from the actuality of putting in the work. So I encourage you to be very, very clear about the distinction between reality as it is and consciously tilling the soil to be receptive to planting the seeds of new thoughts. 
Now, in contemporary neuroscience, they say that the brain does not know the difference between reality and a visualization, between reality and a movie we play about reality. Well, that may be true for the brain. There is yet still reality, you know, and we can never let go of actual reality. If we let go of actual reality and close our eyes and only live in the world of visualization, the world of imagination, we might actually be able to feel really nice while the eyes are closed. But at some moment, having the human vehicle requires and attending to the nature of reality. For example, close your eyes and visualize. I'm enlightened, I'm enlightened, I'm the Buddha, I'm hanging out with Jesus and all the other saints up in a heavenly realm, wonderful, wonderful. Sure, you may experience a bliss for some period of time, but because you have the human body, humanity and the function of the human body is coming for you. You will be there, bliss, 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 bliss. And then the stomach says, feed me. Excuse me, I'm your stomach and you have not fed me for some period of time. I'm very hungry. I need food now. You may say to your stomach, stomach, go away. I'm in the realm of the Buddha. I don't care. I need no nourishment other than love. I'm here in the realm of love and light. Stomach can be gone. And the stomach might be gone for a moment and then it comes back. Excuse me, you did not hear me. I said I was hungry. You need to feed me. Please feed me. And it will get louder and louder and louder until you're dizzy and you start really hallucinating and then you pass out. Then at some, some, someone, then you wake up, oh, I'm hungry, you need to eat something. So then also, what is coming for you? What goes in has to come out. If you're there, all the imagination, I close my eyes sooner or later, then some of the excretory organs will say, excuse me, I need a bathroom break from your whole Buddha experience over here. I need to use bathroom, to go bathroom. Then at some moment, there are other beings. Sooner or later, even if you live in some cave, somebody has to bring food to your cave, you need some food to eat. If you live, if you know, so, so in other words, the mere function that you are incarnate here on this planet Earth means we need to have at least at least, at least one foot, if not both feet, firmly planted on this planet called Earth. And this is the, the feet on the Earth that bring the sense of grounding, the sense of, oh, I am I'm here now. The reality of this moment I accept. However, to react to that reality is the source of suffering. To react, to go into reaction. Oh, hunger, hunger. Why is hunger here? I'm always hungry. I have to eat this. I have to eat that. Why do I have to eat? I eat too much. Now I eat too much. Now my stomach is too full. I can't meditate anymore. My stomach is too full. I feel like I'm going to vomit, vomit. No, it's just this, this endless cycle, you know, or if you, every, you know, if you start hating the experience, oh, I can't believe I have to use bathroom again. I don't like bathrooms, bathrooms. Yeah, it's just adding suffering. So we understand that reality, accepting reality as it is, the seat of equanimity or the seat of neutrality. Once we enter that seat, then you can begin, we can begin to have a little bit of a lessening of the burden of ego. And when the lesson or the, the ego lessens, the burden of the ego lessens, that means our attachments, our expectations lessen. And in that, there's a softening of the hard edges of the mind, softening of the hard edges of what we could say is our, you know, our, our being. And in that space, those seeds that we plant in what we could call meta, what we could call positive visualization, the seeds that we plant in that space, well, they're much easier to kind of attract, you could say. They're much easier to manifest, you know? And what we'll often find is when we're in the space where we're very, very neutral about reality, 
then whatever our desires are, they lack the saliency of desire. They lack the kind of harmful, thirsting nature of desire. And then we'll often find that in those moments, what we're actually desiring is a state, some state of love, some state of wholeness, some state of peace. And if that is possible with a little bit of, um, you know, creative visualization to welcome into our being in the present, then that is a very good way to navigate the space between reality and visualization, to understand what is what. Be very conscious of that. Because many people have a question about, you know, when I meditate, can I only do this sort of visualization work? It feels so much nicer than focusing on the breath. The breath is so boring. It goes in, it goes out. It goes in, it goes out. Who cares? You know, but this is like saying in your yoga practice, you know, I only like Shavasana. I only like Shavasana. Can I just remove all those yoga poses and just take Shavasana? Well, no, that doesn't work then. I mean, just stop your life and try to lie down at any moment. It doesn't really work. It's not the same. At any moment, just stop doing what you're doing and lie down. Then immediately, there's so much tension in the body. How can you lie there? Just lie there. And like, and immediately, what do you feel? I want to get up. I need to go do something. So then we have to do the yoga so that we can lie down. So that we do this work of anapanasati to, to what we could, to what I like to think of as tilling the soil of the mind so it becomes receptive to the seeds of new thoughts. When we're in that seat of neutrality, when we've accepted the reality of what is, that is the most fertile ground we can plant the seeds of metta. So this is the work I encourage you to do. They say that the spiritual path is aiming, is aiming to cultivate what you could call discriminative discernment. In the Sanskrit language, this is called viveka kyati, the power of discrimination, discriminative discernment. So we should be conscious and aware moment by moment of what is. That which you are conscious of, that which you are aware of, that which you are viveka kyati, the, 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 the wisdom, the power of wisdom, that which is revealed in wisdom, that no longer has power over you from the perspective of unconscious patterning. This is an important thing to think about, right? That which you are conscious and aware of no longer has power over you from the perspective of unconscious patterning. It doesn't mean you're done with it. It doesn't mean now it's gone. It means that the unconscious power, which is the deepest, most powerful driver, that that no longer has power over you. So we seek to bring all which, all which is in the unconscious out into the conscious, or you could say to unite conscious and subconscious mind. And so think about the power of discrimination, the power of discernment. And one of the traditional um, descriptions of this is the ability to decipher what is true from what is untrue. What is true, what is untrue. What is reality? What is visualization? What is real? I cannot let go of what's real, but I will not yet be in an antagonistic relationship with what's real. I will neutrally and objectively observe what is, understanding that my neutrality is tilling the soil for the planting of the seeds of a new life, a life filled with peace, happiness, and tranquility. I see there were maybe a few questions now that have come up, so let's take a look at some of these questions. Okay, so there is a there's a question about 
the technique. Let's start with the technique. And the question from Lunika. Hi, Lunika. Says, can you show where exactly to focus the attention during meditation? The instructions are uh, when given anapanasati to bring the attention along the upper lips inside the nostrils. And, and Lunika is asking, is this the entrance of the nose? This is a technical question. It's a very, very good question. Because if we're talking about what's real, what's real? First of all, we want to make sure that we have some, some forum to experience that. So the area of traditional anapanasati, inflowing, outgoing breath awareness, anapana, inflowing, outgoing sati, awareness, mindfulness, right? Sati coming from the Sanskrit word, root word smriti, sometimes translated as memory, but also uh, awareness or mindfulness. The idea is that holding your attention to an object of attention, that attention not wavering. So sati, mindfulness. If your mind is full, you are mindful of that. If your awareness rests on an object of attention, this is sati. Okay, exactly where should we focus our attention? Remember, as I said, any object you can take for sati, anything you can focus, you can focus on anything. You want to look at a candle flame and focus only on that. It's also sati. You can focus on the body, kaya sati. You can focus on attention to the body. You can even focus on, you can even do visualization sati. This is, we are clear, anapana sati. Where shall I focus on? The entrance of the nostrils. So if you were to take your fingers and close your nose, I mean, it's sort of where we want to bring our attention to. All right, so it's pretty obvious when you do that. And then I'm not gonna stick my fingers in or my nose, but inside the nostrils, okay? If you're in doubt about that, you can grab a Q-tip and put the Q-tip inside the nostrils. It's inside the nostrils. Your breath is going in and out through there around the rim of the nostrils. So here, the rim of the nostrils. And then the area of your upper lip, above the, above the upper lip here is like the upper lip where you would wax if you had some hairs if you wanted to. All right, so this upper lip raging, not the, not the actual lip itself, but that upper lip cleft sort of region there, okay? At that point, this makes a triangle. So you can see from the bridge of the nose down to this area, this makes a triangle. So you can consider this to be a triangular area of attention. What is the reason for this? Well, there are many people who think, oh, this is going to awaken some chakra within me, some, you know, holy being is going to come sit on my nose or something like this. Nothing like that, actually. It's just pure technique. Because if you close your mouth, your breath has to make a contact with somewhere in this triangular area. So it's just a pure technique. If you move in and you move out, the breath moves in and out, it's making contact somewhere on this triangular area of attention. So the idea being that if you cannot feel the reality of the breath on this small area of attention, what hope do you have to experience the reality anywhere else within the body? Very low, actually. If you cannot feel, oh, my breath is passing through the right nostril. My breath is passing through the left nostril. How is it that you can feel what is happening in the subtle sensation of the hip or the foot or the energy of the body, what were, you know, these other kind of somewhat fantastical things that we're often interested in. So the idea is to think about reality. And we understand we try to make peace with reality as it is. I'm not looking for anything fancy or anything extraordinary, just acceptance of what is. This is where the Buddha says, yata bhuta, what is simply is, as it is. Not as you would like it to be, because if we start off immediately 
trying to make things into what we want. The quality of mind is still not refined enough to receive that level of deep metta. So for example, a lot of people come into meditation and think, oh, my breath should be like this, or my breath should be like that, or my breath should be deep, or my breath should be like that, it should be this, it should be that, you know? So this is not meditation. This is not the spiritual path. This is more of the same stuff we do in our life. What do we do in our life? Oh, I want my job to be like this. Oh, I want my partner to talk to me like this. Oh, I want the weather to be like this. Oh, I want my coffee to be just like this. Oh, I want this to be done for me. Oh, just like this. It's always just like this. But what if it's not like this? It's like that. Then what happens when it's like that? Oh, so miserable, miserable. Why did you talk to me like that? Oh, I hate that. Talk to me only like this, you know? So we're trying to stop that because you can't pursue happiness in that way. So very important that it's what's real. So we make sure breath is moving in through the right side. We practice being aware that breath is moving in through the right side with the acknowledgement that the left side is blocked with a full understanding that sooner or later, left side will open again and the right side may be blocked. And then we have become aware that the breath is moving in through both nostrils deeply or not so deeply with the full awareness that sooner or later this too shall also pass and it will go back to either right side or left side and it might be hard and it might be weak and it might be deep or it might be shallow but remain neutral 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 so that we are experiencing what is without any attachment without any further seeds of suffering Hmm. very good question to get clear on this so one student is asking So if all of this uh, neutrality is there and we release our attachment to the goals, how then do we work with objectives and goals in the first place? So this is a very fine balance to walk on. Most of the time, we are so projected into reality, to, to the future reality. We've projected into the future so far so that we're not present with what is. Now we're outside of reality, we're projecting into the future, we're projecting into the future, projecting into the future. We visualize something in the future. We live for that future. All of our energies in the future. So what is the problem with this? What's wrong with that? Oh, what is different between that and what we did and what we do when we practice deep, uh, uh, you know, planting the seeds of metta or manifesting work when we do that in a meditative way? What's the difference between that versus just living in the future? Well. Most of our thoughts projecting into the future are actually rooted in the past. They're not actually in the future and they're certainly not in the present. They're rooted in some past experience. And then that past experience has generated such a strong, what we call in the spiritual path of yoga, the samskara. There is some strong samskara rooted in the past. That imprint, that residue of the past is making us project into the future with the idea that one day when we get that thing out there in the future, this wound of the past will be healed. But it's not like that, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You know, we think I'm gonna get that, I'm gonna feel better over there in the future. So we try on the spiritual path to first get very real about what knots rooted in the past are present so that we can then untie them, untie them, untie them. And then we shift the work of goals and objectives away from a need, away from an attachment, into a feeling, into an intention, into a suggestion, you could say. 
So that it's the, it's the difference between planting a seed of the future, which is rooted in the past, thereby generating more attachment and aversion. So it's kind of the stance of the status quo or shifting the paradigm and operating from the present and letting the present be first neutral about what is second whole because neutrality is whole. If I don't need to react to this or that, that's because I'm whole as I am. Then in the state of wholeness, there is no attachment or need to achieve a particular objective with the idea that that might make me more complete. It's very difficult. We can also take this teaching from the Yoga Sutras, which talk about the balance between abhyasa, which is effort and energy, and vairagya, or non-attachment. And in this way, we can attain what Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras calls the state of nirodha, abhyasa, vairagya, vintam, nirodha. So we attain nirodha, which is that yogic state of stillness, the state of presence in the now, with a perfectly balancing abhyasa, effort, right, effort, and surrender. And in this way, we can work that present moment state of wholeness while sort of casting out or planting seeds of various intentions without holding on too tightly to the, to the attainment of, those, of that goal or that desire. And there is another practical question. Nuni also again asks a practical question. Thank you. I appreciate all the practical questions. This is very useful as a practitioner. Are you, are you okay to go back to observe your breath during the day, say in difficult and challenging moments? Luniga, what a wonderful question. In fact, the yoga practice, meditation practice, the spiritual practice is only effective when you practice what is called nairantardia, nairantardia, without break. Okay, without break. What does that mean? That does not mean you're going to be doing asanas all day. If you do asanas all day, you will injure yourself. Poor body cannot do asanas all day. Can put the leg behind the head the whole day. Even if you can put the leg behind the head, it should not be there the whole day. This is uncomfortable, difficult to eat with the leg behind the head. Okay, so now if we're thinking about what does it mean, night on cardia? Also, you cannot meditate all day with your eyes closed, sitting on the cushion. As I mentioned before, bodily functions aren't there. We need to eat, sleep, bathroom, do other things, pay taxes, have to pay taxes if you're a householder. These things you have to do. They also electric company, otherwise, no electricity is there. Then we get cold or hot, or uncomfortable. All things are there. We have to take care of life of a householder. So, throughout the day, yes, 100%, you are. Ideally, not only in difficult, challenging moments, but always some awareness. How am I breathing? What's my breath doing? How's my breathing? Look, I'm cooking. I'm breathing like this when I'm cooking. You might suddenly notice here's some wonderful things about having this constant awareness of breath, body, and mind. Three anchors of awareness. You know, one, all three, two, three, some mixture as you like. So sometimes say, this happened to me one time. I was uh, uh, doing some activity with my husband and we had a lot of a lot of things to attend to we were sitting there talking attending to all these activities 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 there were just so many things so many little things to attend to and then suddenly i realized i'm actually panting at this moment i was breathing and it was interesting because i was breathing as though i was running 
But I was just sitting there attending to this, taking this meeting with this person, this meeting with this person, and this talk with this person, and another person, another person, another person, the whole line of people meeting, meeting with about this, meeting about that, one problem about this. And we're sitting there just talking, talking. And then after like four hours of this, I realized, oh, I'm panicking. I feel like I'm running a marathon. I'm in a state of panic. I need one moment. So then I, I asked, uh, I need a little break from attending to all these problems. Can I just Take, we take a five minute break and then I took a break, came back and it was much better. So having this awareness of your breath and that moment was something difficult. This is useful. I also encourage you to have a moment of your breath when things are going, awareness of your breath when things are going very, very well, because then you'll get more acclimated to how happiness feels. Most people deploy the tools of the spiritual path when things are difficult, but the next moment that you share when you feel so much love, you feel you share love in your family, you know, your, the, the, your family is there, your friends are there, and you feel so loved. Pay attention to your breath and how your body feels and try to anchor that. The moment you experience a beautiful sunrise or a wonderful breeze that passes through the air or birds chirping, pay attention to how you're breathing and try to let that be anchored within you. Mm -hmm. Good. So I think we will uh, close there for today. I think this is a really wonderful space to think about taking that as a little assignment to really pause and, and take note of how breath, body, and mind feel in those moments of goodness. If there are any other questions that I didn't get through, uh, please just save them for the next, uh, the next sit that we do together. And that's going to be not next weekend. Remember next weekend, I have the one day uh, self-care retreat. So you're welcome to join that if you want to. It's really quite reasonable for all of us OMSARS members. And of course, if anyone has any uh, you know, difficulty and you really, really want to join, please just send us a little message about that. And uh, we'll be having a full day of this kind of work, a nice long sit in the morning, as well as a yin practice. And then a lot of work in the afternoon in this space of uh, kind of planting meta and positive thoughts. So that'll be fun. And two weeks from now, I think it's a two weeks from now, Maybe it's three weeks from now. We have another sit. I need to check if it's two or three weeks from now. Then we have another sit like this. So anyhow, keep the routine and the ritual of every Sunday at one o'clock, something for the spiritual development. And as I mentioned, uh, my my astrologer, who I really, really, I, I did, I've done a lot of sessions with him. He's wonderful. Derek Seagriff is giving a talk. He's a lot of energy and a lot of information. And again, it's free for everyone on OMSTARS. So definitely sign up for that. And uh, here what he has to say. He's given the, definitely given me a lot of good wisdom in my life uh, and the time that I've spent with him. So, okay. Thanks everyone. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate you spending the time with me, sitting with me. I enjoy, I really, really enjoy all of this uh, time that we spend together. Everything is always online as a replay. So you're always welcome to watch that as well. In the meanwhile, I just send you a lot of love, a lot of meta, and I'll see you next time. Thanks everyone. Lots of love. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Yoga Inspiration Show. It's always a pleasure to share the inner space of the yoga journey with you. Remember, you can always find me online at omstars.com, www.omstars.com, and on my YouTube channel and all social media at Kino Yoga. I look forward to seeing you on the mat, and more than anything, I hope you take the inspiration to practice yoga and make your world a better place. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. 
If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.